Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, I'll just take a wee minute out here to talk about NordVPN. Now, NordVPN are official club partner of Rangers, so you know that they're trustworthy. And trust is a big thing on the internet. I'm afraid that you can't trust people because there are lots of bad people out there who want to steal your data. And if you are using other Wi-Fi to your home network, if you are out and about and you use Wi-Fi or your 4G when you're outside 5G, whatever, then hackers are able to get to your information and it's such a pain if you've ever been hacked and you've had to change passwords or you've had to change bank cards, etc. It is so, so time consuming and you don't need to do it because all you need to do is sign up to NordVPN and know you're protected. And of course, if you're ever going on a short holiday then you know what I'm talking about. You know where you can go to get absolutely thousands of options of where your internet is. But security is the key thing, let's face it. And you can get 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand and use the code heart and hand. You will get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. So just go to nordvpn.com forward slash heart and hand. Use the code heart and hand and be protected. Get up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. Christmas is coming. Good evening, welcome back to Heart and Extra. This is your second free show of the week. I am your host, Adam Thornton, and tonight's show, we'll take a look back at Wednesday's 1-0 win against Hibs Easter Road, and we will also look ahead to tomorrow's game against Dundee at Ibrooks. Joining me for this one, we have Ross Hutton. How you doing, mate? Pleasure to be here. I am not bad, thank you, not bad. And we also have Scott Coulter. How's it going? Afternoon, gents. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so Ross, uh, a midweek of highs and lows for yourself personally following Rangers and Rangers-related teams. Let's get the lows out of the way. Tell us about your trip to Aberdeen on Tuesday. 
Yeah, quite the wee trick. So for anyone who who doesn't know, James Forrest and I cover the B team for Heart and Hand. So that's full match coverage. We go to the games, we interview the management afterwards, we report back on the site. So we had a, a Challenge Cup game against Cove Rangers, League, League One leaders, of course. Really, really good team, got to be honest. They see themselves as a championship team and the kind of players they have within their ranks more or less kind of confirms that in terms of household names I'll, I'll throw some out Shea Logan Ian Vigers players like that Fraser Five grabbed a couple of goals on the evening so James and I headed up there on Tuesday a very different trips I think it has to be said I kind of sauntered up during the day got a coffee nice and relaxed James got stuck in traffic just outside the Vangus and <laughs> phoned me stressed out of his box um, but you know we made it against all the odds and against all the, the weather trying to turn against us disappointing evening um, I think I am always quite keen to reiterate that there is going to be a, a kind of talent gap at that level. We are talking about kids here with, with the Rangers B team, and I think people do well to remember that at times as Rangers, we have high expectations and they are doing well in the low in the league, but there does still need to be an element of realism in there. Even still, having kind of said that and clarified that from the off, James and I both felt that, especially in a defensive sense, where we heard this before, we let ourselves down on, on Tuesday night. 2-0 down inside the first five minutes doesn't help. Um, probably could have been more had it not been for some some brilliant goalkeeping uh, from Rangers. But yeah, a, a low night overall. It ended up 5-1 with 4-1 down at half time. The second half was a bit better, not that it could have really got much worse for me, and totally honest. It came out, played. You know, kept the ball a wee bit better, played some nicer stuff. Cove went down to 10 men and, and you're thinking, you know, if you nick a goal back here, you give yourself a puncher chance. But again, sort of similar defensive concerns, Cove go make it 5-1 and that really does kill any kind of hope you had left. Uh, look, as, as far as that run in the Challenge Cup goes, they were the only Lowland League side left in it. Um, the rest of the sides were championship sides plus Cove Rangers who are, as I said earlier on, an all but name a championship side. They will get promoted one way or another from League One this season. I've got no doubt in my mind about that. So it's a fantastic run from them. And when we were speaking to Brian Gilmore, the Rangers B team manager after the game, the, the kind of key phrase that kept coming back to was uh, a learning experience. And that essentially is what this is for the B team. If we want them to develop and make, you know, make themselves into the players that we want them to be, they can't be going and battering teams 9-0 every week. As much as that like, look nice on, on a, on a scoreline or on Twitter, it's not really where you're going to learn the harsh lessons that you, that you need to learn if you want to cut it at Rangers. And I think Tuesday night falls into that category. Look, they're playing against a team that's much more developed than them. They're playing against players that have had good careers uh, in, in the Scottish leagues uh, at one kind of varying level or another. But... Overall, a good learning experience for them, a disappointing result. I know the players will feel that, but they've got a, a clash tomorrow against Spartans in the, in the Lowland League. The Rangers are second, Spartans are third. It's a brilliant chance to get back up on, on the horse. They're a, a point ahead of Spartans in the league right now, I believe, around 42 points. Spartans are on one. So, sorry, 40, 41, I should say, not one. That would be quite the gap. Hmm. But... Um, they can get back on the horse tomorrow. It's a really, really good chance to go out and try and uh, close the gap at the top there. So, you know, a disappointing night for them on Tuesday, but I think everyone was quite keen to stress there's a lot you can learn from there, a lot you can develop from, and we'll try and put that behind them and then move on move on again. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think cup football, you obviously want them to progress and, and getting into the semi-finals of the Challenge Cup would have been would have been excellent. Um, I think they could have played, was it? Queen, Queen of the South Cove got wasn't it and you've got Kamarnock and Wraith on the other semi so that's us yeah. actually getting to 
near enough Premiership level quality. So it's going to be interesting to see how they can test themselves against that level of opposition each year. Um, obviously, if they're still in the low league in future years, um, so that'll be quite interesting. But it is really about the players, isn't it? I think you said that. So in terms of the the names then that that you have caught your eye in, in your first month or so covering it, obviously the ones that, that most people hear about will be the, the kind of new signings, if you like, Allegria and McCann, uh, etc. Does that kind of back up the eye test from from what you're seeing when when you're going, or are there any maybe more underrated um, players or more unknown players that that you've been impressed with? I, th- I think, again, the key thing to stress right now is when you talk about players that catch the eye, I think immediately people think, oh, well, why, why aren't they in the first team yet? And there's players in there that are absolutely really, really talented and I think have a real, real good chance of going on to make it at Rangers. But I think one of the key ones that that's caught my eye so far is young Tony Weston. Um He was the first player that James and I had the, the chance to interview. That's not the reason why I'm, I'm picking him out, by the way. He's just a mm-hmm. really, really talented boy. He's still quite, like, he's still got a lot to develop in, in that sense, but his positional play on and off the ball was superb. When we were chatting to him, he said that he's given a licence to try and roam around that kind of front three. And you really see it in games. He's, he's movement off the ball is really intelligent. He makes a lot of good runs. Doesn't always get found by them, but again, at that level, you're not always going to be. He's finishing superb and such a diverse array of finishing as well. He's, we've seen him score tap-ins from good movement inside the box. We've seen him fall shots in. We've seen him score from one touch turning and shooting. It's kind of the complete package almost you want in a striker. Plus, as I said, his movement as well, his range of passing is tremendous in terms of the absolute number one player that, that, that's caught my eye uh, in terms of the, watching the B team it's Tony Weston for sure, another one I want to give a shout out actually is uh, young Robbie Fraser at left back, the boy just does not stop running, he's always everywhere, he's up and down that line like a machine and I think that's one of the things that's really impressed me by him not just his endeavour to be able to you know get back and forth and support the attack and then go back and do his jobs at left back but his delivery across his, especially has, has been superb so Adam Devine as well, right back, um, again, very much in the, the mode of Tav. Uh, Adam, I know you'll enjoy me saying that. Very, very good right back first and foremost, but at Rangers that's not enough, not in the modern game. Uh, his deliveries are coming on leaps and bounds as well. So there's a lot to be positive about with the B team. And I think sometimes when I, I see online, which is never the best barometer of anything, when the B team do have a disappointing result, people tend to throw the baby out of the bathwater. I mean, Rangers fans, would you believe it? But hmm. um, I think in, in terms of the overall picture, look, there's a lot to be positive about with the B team. There's a lot of talent in there and they are, they are in good hands. And if they keep doing what they're doing, I think we might be seeing a few of them in the first team very, very soon. Although I would temper that by saying you do need to give them that space and time to develop at their own pace. Yeah, it's going to be quite interesting. I'm really keen to see, I think we said in the summer, how how beneficial this has been. They're doing very well in the league. They're, they're clearly getting some some challenges, like like we've seen. They've had a few setbacks uh, in the last month or so, and they're not they're doing a lot better than, than I think most people would have thought in the Lowland League, but they're not exactly running away with it, given the, they're a few points behind uh, number one in the league so uh, it's interesting it should be a good development point and like you said if Tony Weston keeps scoring that amount of goals I'm, I'm not sure whether uh, scoring any kind of amount of goals in, in that league really gets you right into contention for, for Rangers in the first team but it will certainly get them into contention for maybe championship or, or something like that in terms of a, a loan next season which I think I would guess is the next development point for, for some of them so very interesting we'll keep an eye on that thank you Ross okay let's move on to the Hibs game then um Scott, we, we travelled through. Um, Rangers lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation with what is now the, the usual back four, or has been for the last few games. We had Kamara and Davis sitting deeper 
And then a front four of Kent left, Hadji right, and Arribo behind Morelos. Any thoughts on the team pre-game? Anything that you were, were surprised about? Anyone that you thought may have started instead of, of anyone else? Yeah, no great surprises for me, I don't think. Um, we spoke on the way up. I think the only name that possibly came into our thinking was probably Arfield, just given his performance and the impact that he had um, in the previous game against Livingston. I think it was always pretty likely that Davis was going to start a game like this, away to Hibernian Easter Road. We know they like to kind of dominate um, with the three in the middle of the park, um, and I just thought Davis was going to provide a little bit more control in there. So, yeah, no great surprises. I think it was kind of as expected. Um, and the front three as well, I think um, Hadji already is kind of sticking out as a bit of a favourite of Van Bronckhorst from, um, since he came in. So um, I think it was always likely he was going to get the nod over maybe Sakala or um, I know Rufus was just coming back. So, um, yeah, kind of as expected, I guess. The Hadji point is an interesting one for me, Ross. I think when, when he came in, my, my view was that he's, he's, Hadji's going to be a player that he likes um, very much so just because he is that kind of classic European or, or even Dutch style number 10. Um, I must admit I have been surprised that he's used them as far wide as he has, both against Prague and uh, against Hibs. I think against Livingston he was slightly more uh, slightly more narrow, but um, I have been surprised at that. What's, what's your thoughts on it? To me, if you've got... Um, pace such as Sakala, Patterson and, and Wright and in an away game like this the way that Hibs attack and, and more importantly the way that they defend to me having two options both Kent and someone pacey on the right hand side might get you a little bit more joy um, I didn't think Hadji was fantastic in, in this game I have to say but I just um, would really be keen to know what the manager's thoughts are and playing them that far right um, what was your what was your thoughts on on that selection first of all and how you think he done in the game uh, taking it into kind of two separate things, the selection, again, not many surprises. We've played a relatively settled team so far under Van Bronck. Of course, it's still incredibly early days, of course, but there hasn't been, you know, maybe wholesale rotation that we were seeing towards the end of the, the Gerrard tenure where you maybe would see three or four players drop in and drop out of the team. Now, maybe that'll, that'll come when he's a wee bit more familiar with the squad and, and, and time that's yet to be seen, but not an awful lot of eyebrow raisers in there. But in terms of the Hadji point, I would agree with you totally, I think. You waste Yanisaji out wide. I don't think you get the best out of him. I'd love to see him more in a far more central position. I think that's where we've seen him before. We influence his game say, in a far more effective way. So if you think about the kind of difference between how Gerard and Van Bronckhorst played, Gerard liked to play with, with two tens in, in that system. You would see Hadji maybe a wee bit more central than, than what you would now. But when you're pushing him out that far wide and look, I think most Rangers fans have said it is something that I'll go along with. He is a couple of yards of pace away from being a top, top player. You know, if he had that, he might not be here. That's a different discussion. But I would agree with you totally for the way Hibs play and the way that they would push up the park and aim to take the game to us. You know, it's Hibs at Easter Road. I would like to have a wee bit more pace on the break there and that would probably lend itself more to Sakala. Uh, I think I was I was at the game with, with James on, on Wednesday. I know you were there with Martin Adam. I think James and I both said at the time we were really surprised that it was going to take as long as it did for Sakala to come on. He obviously never made it on the pitch, but he was stripped off and at the halfway line ready to come on when, when the penalty was awarded. I would like to have seen either the Sakala start in that role to give us a wee bit more on, on the break or in transition. And then I would like to have seen him introduced a wee bit sooner uh, in the game, having you know said that. I don't think Hadji done anything drastically wrong. I just don't think that's the kind of game that you really see the best out of him, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, and I guess I don't want to say the manager's still still learning as if he doesn't he doesn't see the players 
every day, but the fact remains he's had less than two weeks with the players, so he's maybe just trying things out, seeing who works where. And maybe Hadji being in there as a kind of temporary thing until he sees how other players are doing in other positions before he makes any more fundamental changes. I think that that this month is going to be a little bit of that. I know we have a lot of very, very important games in here. He's off to a great start with the, the three wins and three, which we'll come on to later on. But if he's able to test out some things within the, the kind of overall structure that we've got um, to the benefit of the team, maybe when we get to the winter break, for example, and he's get, he gets a bit more training time with, with the players, I think we then might start to see how his philosophy shapes what we are, are trying to do. Um, Scott, just, just on that point, I think, we're maybe attuned to how Gerard would, would work and I think if Gerard was playing this type of formation you might see um Hadji playing centrally and Aribo as, as the right um the right winger if, if those two had to play in, in a game. Um but he hasn't done that, he's done it the other way around. Um I think we've seen good points from Aribo in this game. He did go a little bit deeper later on when Arfield came on, but when Arfield did come on, there was a noticeable improvement in getting beyond the forwards. Everything we know Arfield can do. I'm, I say this every week on various shows. So I'm a huge fan of, of Arfield. Consistency isn't there, and he's not as young as he was, but we've seen that kind of drive and determination when he came on, looking to get the ball down, looking to get ahead of, of Roof and, and Link well. Aribo is a fantastic player, but that kind of going beyond the striker is something that I think the, the management team are trying to instill in him. It doesn't feel like it maybe comes naturally to him, but I think we've seen the benefit of someone like Scott Arfield playing in that 10 uh, when he came on. Uh, and obviously yeah. he, he made the pass for the penalty as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, listen, Scott Arfield, we know what you're going to get with him. And we speak about it enough in terms of as often that little bit different and running beyond the um, breaking from midfield and running beyond the strikers. I think if you could guarantee you're going to get that from Scott Arfield every game, um, you would have a great some player on your hands. And the fact is, we know he's liable to pick up injuries. We know he's liable to go through these little kind of bursts of form. Um, hopefully, he's coming into one at the moment. But, um, you know, I, I can kind of see how um, Van Broekhorst might be just trying to get a bit of a feel for him and phase him into the team slightly. I think on the subject of Aribo, I agree. I... Aribo's a he's a ball to feet player rather than you know a runner beyond like um, like Arfield is. Um, I think Aribo had a good enough game in terms of protecting the ball, making things happen, um, you know, trying to be that kind of creative influence going forward. Um, I don't think Aribo was the problem in terms of some of our attacking output. I would probably level that at some of the the wide players and um, and further forward, but. Um, Clearly, I think that's an interesting one for Van Bronckhorst in terms of what he does with Hadji and Aribo and who's best suited to playing um, in that central, I guess, number 10 role, just but just off the striker. Um, I think Aribo's done well, but I guess Hadji feels like a more natural fit for that. Yeah, no, I would agree. I, I agree. I don't think Aribo was, was anywhere near... The worst player, I think he was. He was very good, actually. Probably, probably the best of the the front four. Uh, I would have said certainly the front four that, that started the game. Uh, Ross, it wasn't as um, explosive a start as we've seen in in Gio's first two games. Uh, I guess that was always going to be the case coming to to one of the more difficult away venues. Um, I thought it was a really transitional game, um, but not in a good way. It wasn't necessarily end to end basketball that the neutrals would would love. I just thought both teams on the ball were pretty poor, uh, I would say, particularly in the final third in that first half. thought Hibs came into the game a bit more as the first half ended, but not really much in the way of clear-cut chances or, or great moves that cut us open. Um, I did think our defence did a great job overall, but overall it was probably scrappy, I think you would use to, to define the game. 
Yeah, I think uh, transitional is probably the politest way of putting it. To be honest, it wasn't exactly a high-quality encounter, especially not in that, that first half. I mean, it just if you want to look at sort of goal-mouth action with the XG involved in that first half, Hibs had an XG of 0.05, we had an XG of 0.75, and that Morelos chance at the end is the one that considerably bumps that up. And if you're a neutral watching that, it's, you probably end up turning it off or turning it over to the Liverpool game. It wasn't you know, a high-quality encounter, but having said that, I think it was very much two teams trying to figure themselves out. There wasn't a lot of kind of quality on the ball. A lot of misplaced passes for both teams, which was a theme throughout the night, especially in in, in the second half when you know I think there was a spell where Connor Golson just could not find a Rangers player with a pass at all. It was three or four times in a row gave the ball away, but then Hibs were doing similar themselves. It wasn't a fantastic game, um, but it's it one of those ones if you want to say we're not playing particularly well it's not exactly sparkling football but champions that you find a way to win which we did in the end by by hook or by crook that i think possibly the reason for it not being you know a sparkling game in our sense was i didn't think we had much directness from the midfield at all it's one of the one of the kind of poorer games that i've seen stephen davis have of late i think uh, maybe an impossible we uh, fitness situation, I, I don't know, but I would like to have possibly seen Arfield start in, in that way, even though I said the, the lineup wasn't exactly an eyebrow raiser. It's just maybe one thing that you would have considered to have that directness from the off because one thing you do need credit Geo for is, is the changes because it wasn't working and he brings Arfield on and Ruff on and that is what won is the game. Eventually, because Arfield gave us that directness from midfield to actually run at hips and try and drive them back a wee bit. At a point in the game where it did seem like they were growing into the ascendancy, I think they probably did start the second half the better of the teams. So even though Arfield didn't start, maybe in a way that I would like them to, you do need to credit the management team for for making the changes that, that ultimately did lead to win the game. Yeah, and I guess we need to be, be fair in the sense that if, if Arfield and Roof had had started, then it may not have went the way it does. I think people sometimes forget that substitutes can come on at a very specific point in games and with Hibs probably understandably looking to push for a a winner of their own, there there does become more space on the break and that's where someone like Arfield can can come into his own. If he had started the game, he would have obviously been more tired, etc. at the end as well and may not be able to make the type of runs that he was making. So I think game state as always is is a big factor on, on these things. Scott, something Ross mentioned there... I felt like we got ourselves into some good positions once we won the ball back from Hibs, probably more in, in the second half, but kind of too often it was the wrong decision. Um, I do agree with what Ross said about Davis and Kamara, but I am noticing that that two, if you like, are getting forward a bit more under Van Bronckhorst, which um, is probably because the fullbacks are a bit deeper, and we'll come on to that in a little bit, But and we do need someone to then connect to the fence and the attack. With Davis and Kamara, it's probably not their natural game, and I don't really think more running is something Davis needs overall, but um, it was good to see them at least getting us up the pitch a little bit more, Scott, even if the final ball wasn't always as great. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, we were at the game, Adam, and I was a little surprised, I think, coming back from the game and and reading some of the comments and social media, etc., you know, when Ross mentioned at the start that it's never a great barometer of, of um, what's actually played out. But I think it was more frustration than anything else. I think um, it was frustration at a game that was there to be won. I don't think Hibs played well at all, if we consider um, how they played at Hamden a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think we got ourselves into a lot of really promising positions, as you mentioned. Um, you mentioned that word, transition. Um, you know, and I thought Kamara, Davis did well in terms of that gaining possession in the middle of the park and um, moving the ball on. 
it was just that final pass. It was, um, you know, the amount of times we were breaking through the middle. We had a man over on each side and we'd maybe pick the wrong pass or go for the shot when a pass was on. Um, so I can see how the, where the frustration comes from with that. Um, I don't think that was a game we were ever... I really felt like we were ever likely to lose. Um, I thought defensively we kept particularly Boyle quiet. Um, again, when you compare it with um, with the Hampton performance, um, I don't think he was really in the game much at all, apart from maybe one chance in the first half. Um, and even, you know, as the second half went on and Hibs did get a little bit more possession, um, I never really thought that... I'd, I was that worried about them scoring. Um, I think the greater concern was where our goal was coming from with the amount of slack passes and mishit crosses, etc. that we were seeing. But um, yeah, I think it's one of these games that, and I don't want to come across a bit of a happy clapper and, you know, and give it the cliche of, you know, um, it's good to win. It's a sign of champions to win when you're not playing well. But if you consider the fixtures we have coming up, it was a non-negotiable that we won on Wednesday night and we did that. We got out of there with three points. Um, so I can't be too hard on them, I don't think. Yeah, I would uh, I would, I would, agree. I don't, when you come back out of the the game, you you don't, it wasn't a game that I thought we were unlucky um, in. I, I thought we, we dominated most of the key chances in the game. Um, like Ross said, the last two games, Van Bronckhorst's first two, interestingly, we've created, we've conceded the lowest number of chances than we have all season, um, which which does bode well, and we will come on to that. But I would agree, Ross, I don't think it ever felt that we were losing the game. There were a couple of maybe dangerous moments um, where it felt like maybe the, the Hibs wing-backs were, were getting on the ball, maybe a couple of chances that didn't quite come off for them, some good defending on our side, which we'll come on to, to next. But in terms of... of Games that we've been at this season, where we've thought we could be, we could be in trouble here. Um, we've only seen one two weeks ago in terms of the the Hibs semi final to to prove that. I thought it was much improved overall, and and coming to this stadium, coming to difficult stadiums like this, and creating the number of chances that we did. Okay, we had to rely on a penalty at the end to to get the goal, but I think our attack and play deserved a win overall. Yeah, I'd go along with that completely. It's not a game where I was at where I, I felt any great sense of jeopardy in terms of losing it. I was more getting frustrated at the thought of uh, drawing it and, and dropping two points. But it was never a game where I was really concerned that the Hibs were battering the door down, I think. There were a lot of uh, a lot of bluff and no bluster, to be honest. The, earlier on that second half, they did have a wee bit more of the ball. They weren't creating an awful lot with it. I think the XG goes along with that as, as well. I know it's not always a complete barometer of chances created, but it's a really good indicator. And I think defensively, it's one of the better performances we've had this season. You're right, the, the treads seem to indicate that as well in terms of the clean sheets we've been keeping. There's another one. I don't think it was a clean sheet that we were fortunate to keep because there are games we've been at this season where we've conceded one or two and we've been fortunate that it's only been one or two. This was not one of those games where we're really quite solid defensively. I thought Borna was a lot better defensively. You had the, I know you said you wanted to come on to a minute, but you had the, the flick from Goldston as well. And in an attacking sense, I did think we had the better end of the chances. You had the Morelos one at the end of the first half, which, let's be honest, he probably should score. And then Ryan Kent a couple of times in the second half as well, creating good chances, un- unlucky in a couple of occasions. And then to get the penalty and score, I thought was really, really just a kind of just reward for that game. And in and, and the moment, in the last 10 minutes, uh, that's including the idea time, we were possibly worried about how we were going to negotiate that. But overall, I thought we'd done that remarkably well. And watching it back without the emotion, we were never really in that much, much danger of, of blowing the lead once we conceded the or indeed conceding when, when we were still no-no. 
Yeah, um, let's talk about the, the defence then. You, you mentioned Barisic's performance defensively, and I, I thought it was great. Um, we're used to seeing him rampaging down that wing and being the, the only source of creativity down there, really, if you want to be classed Kent as a, as a number 10. So it's taken a wee bit of getting used to that essentially Tavernier and Barisic are, are kind of only being used on the overlap now or as a, a kind of combination deeper in the pitch rather than being the, the main source of, of creativity. Um, that will have an impact on us going forward, absolutely. However, it may make us less um, one-dimensional. We've seen games against Hibs Ibrox, for example, where we were swinging, we were swinging balls into the box and both of them delivered um, assists for for the goals that that won us the game. That won't be as frequent now under Van Bronckhorst. I think we we thought that before he joined, and we've certainly seen that in these three games. They will be ten or fifteen yards deeper. The onus will be more on that front four and the runners from midfield to get up there and support the attack or attack themselves uh, in terms of of goals and assists. So that's going to take a little bit of getting used to. I think we are going to see their numbers dip a little bit. Uh, Tavernier showed on on Sunday that he will still be uh, more than capable of putting in a couple of assists uh, a game if he wants to. But overall, we're not going to see them as those players driving into the the attacking third and being the the main source of creativity on each side. But Scott, I think that will have a bit of a a bit of an assistance or will give us a bit more support in the defensive side of things. Um, they will be a little bit deeper, which means they are going to have a bit more of an assured starting position, particularly against wing-backs, uh, where they will be there. They'll be in front of them rather than having to come back and, and tackle, which I think will make a big bit of a difference there uh, overall. Um, but someone who has made a huge difference for me is, is Calvin Bassey Scott playing as, as left centre-back. I think if we'd said even eight eight days ago as we record, that he would put in those three performances against Sparta, Prague, Livingston uh, and Hibs. I think most people would be pretty surprised, particularly at left centre half. I think he's been excellent overall. Yeah, I think if I cast my mind back to walking out at Hamden after um, the semi-final and after witnessing the performance from um, from Leon Balogun and, and Goldson, um, being quite concerned about our centre half situation. Um, Hollander, obviously, um, we hope's not too far off coming back. But beyond that, um, you know, Balogun obviously injuring and our only other options really being Simpson or shifting Bassey into that position. I wasn't too confident getting into the run of fixtures that we had. But like you say, he's really stepped up to the plate. He looks like the dominant centre half in that partnership, really, which I know is strange. And listen, I don't want to pile in on Goldson. I actually thought he had a a bit of a better game um, on Wednesday night, but really, really impressed with Bassey. He um, he's clearly physically um, capable of playing in that position. Big, strong boy. He gets around the pitch well. Um, he can distribute the ball out quite well. Um, there's a couple of moments where I think it shows that you know he, he's not a centre half. His positioning. That's the fact that he's maybe not played there at this level um, very often. He's still a young boy. He's still kind of learning his game overall, but. You know, if we think about the three games under Gio, it's two clean sheets out of three. Um, he's really, really played his part in that. Um, and I think I would, you know, you mentioned that Aribo before. I would have had Bassey as my man of the match, probably. Um, I was really, really, really impressed with him. Yeah, I would say so. I think certainly against uh, Sparta, he was my man of the match. And I think I probably, he probably has a case for it in this game as well. So I think that's a fair shout. Ross, you mentioned earlier on about Goldson. Uh, I just want to come on to him before we finish off that, that Bassey point. He made a goal-saving challenge, which I missed at the game because it was up the other end, but the ball was falling right on to Nisbet's foot two yards out and he just managed to flick it away. I thought he was good. Um, going to be 
Is this controversial? I'm not sure, but I always think he's. I always think Golson is good. He has the odd brain fart. I think on on Sunday he was at fault for a goal. There haven't been many more this this season um, from Golson. He hasn't been at the level, but I think sometimes it's a little bit overblown in terms of of how poor he's been or, or this or that. I, I think he's been fine, bordering on good. Um, but it is a big drop off from from last year, which I guess is what people will be comparing to. But he fair fair play to him. He he saved that. He saved that certain goal. Yeah. I- the point you made about the drop-off is right, but because he's hit such a high standard before, that is a standard they will be held to, whether that is fair or, or, or not. And I think when he's not hitting those high standards, and both the defensive and attacking sense, he's no, came nowhere near the kind of attacking threat from corners that, that he's been last season or the last couple of seasons, indeed. But you're right, that challenge in isolation is superb, but you're right, it's a goal-saving challenge. It is as good as a goal, really, let, let's be honest, because that is falling right on in this bit's foot and that's a tap-in, and then that does completely change the complexion of the game, and that is probably the only moment of real jeopardy that, that we had in that game that's cracking defending. Um, there's a wee bit of chart today about his, his contract, which I don't really want to get into too much, but for as long as he's at Rangers, he should start, because on his day, I'd still maintain he is our best centre-half, and obviously when Hillander comes back and he's fit and firing, and then it's still again the best partnership we have at the club so hopefully that's an issue that can resolve itself one way or another and you can start hitting you know the the type of form that he did last season or somewhere close to it but on on Wednesday evening certainly one of his, his better games this season because he's not hit the heights he's not been as solid defensively there's been a few mix-ups in there I don't think that's unfair to say but more of the same please because it, it does seem to be when he's settled the more when he's more settled, the entire back four seems more settled. So if that's something that can resolve itself, then that's a massive plus point for us. Yeah, I think, I would say, sorry, sorry to interrupt there, Adam, but I think I, I totally agree with you, Ross, there. Um, I think even in games where Golson's maybe, you know, not at the top level and, you know, he's quite wasteful on, on the ball and somebody's passing off, he's one of those players that you'll really notice his absence if you take him out, you know, if he was to get injured or he wasn't in the team for whatever reason, he is the organiser, he is the um, the communicator in that back line, mm-hmm. so, you know, and I agree, he is our best, most dominant centre-half, and, you know, I agree with you, Adam, I don't really buy into all this, I don't think he's been superb this season, Um I think a lot of that's maybe some of his distribution and some of his short passing games not really been there. But I think defensively, he's generally kind of covered his lines and done what he's there to do um, without being noticeably spectacular. But it's the impact he has on other players. It's the impact he has on Tavernier and pulling them back or pulling them inside. Um, I don't think it's a surprise that Bassey's settled in um, and played really well over these last three games with Goldson to the side of him. Um, I don't think you get that out of Bassey if he's playing alongside Balogun, for instance, or maybe even Hollander, well, um, because we know that we know um, the Golson's, you know, the communicator and talking him through it. Well, I was going to say there is there is the obvious blueprint for this, and it's happened. It sparked Prague away. Yeah, it was Balogun and Bassey at centre half, and we were an absolute mess yeah. at the back that night. So that commanding presence that you spoke about, Scott, you're absolutely spot on because Goldson is the one that organises that back line, especially, I know it maybe doesn't happen uh, as much now under Van Bronckhorst, course, but especially on, on the days when you had Tav and, and Barisic barring forward, you needed an organiser there to try and be able to, to communicate along along that back four, so you're absolutely yeah. right. It was kind of my concern when, when we did have to play Bassey at centre-half because of Balogun's injury. I didn't know how he would cope because of that night in Sparta-Prague, but I think that is more down to just like a general feeling across that back four rather 
more than anything that Calvin Bassey done individually that evening. So, yeah, absolutely. We are a different team without Goldson in it. And the sooner that he can hit, you know, he's top form again, the absolute better. Yeah, I think you can see... You can see the difference that the fullbacks being a little bit deeper have made. You can see the difference that Davis and Kamara sitting as a as a two makes to the centre of defence. Golds and talking Bassey through through games, I think, is a very underrated thing, and it's easy just to to gloss over that. But I think it will be it will be a thing. Um, Bassey looks to me like he's learning when to be aggressive and snuff out danger by getting touch tight. Um, he wasn't great at that when he's played there before. Sparta Prague is the obvious example, but that looks to be improving uh, as well. He's not always just going to try and win the ball into hell with anything else. He, he is um, showing a bit more experience in terms of, oh, I'll drop off and let him go and take the ball and well, kind of face up on him. I think if you, you contrast that, Adam, I know we might come on and talk about it, but if you contrast that with his opposite centre-half in, in, in Portus um, for Hibs, who, you know, again, similar to Bassey, physically, you know, he looks like a centre-half. He has all the physical attributes of being a centre-half. But in these games, he consistently lunges in. He uh, makes the wrong decision. He gets pulled out of position. He lets the kind of emotions of the game take over. Um, and that's a really, really important thing for a centre-half to be able to, you know, know when to go to the ball, know when to stand off. Um, so for him not being a... Um, you know, a regular centre half. I think it's it's really really encouraging to see that progression that he's made in, in really a short space of time. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I do think Rossi would be more comfortable in a back three. Um, at times he has looked great, but I think overall I could see I could see a back three being something that that he would be he would be good in uh, as well. We did see it later in the game. Um, what was your thoughts on it? It was Lundstrom coming on to join Goldson and Bassey. It was literally for five minutes or so, but it, it, there's not much we can take out of it in terms of evidence. But what we can say is it probably did the job of, of shoring things up when we were trying to protect a lead. What were your thoughts on it? What's your thoughts on it as a concept? Can you see it being used domestically other than in those kind of type of keep it tight situations? I'm not entirely sure I would properly revert to a back three in those kind of domestic situations. I, th- I do think you lose a wee bit going forward in those games and when you think of the the majority of games that we are going to play in the league, we're going to have to break down low blocks and I think uh, now you're the, you are the tactics guy, Adam, I don't know if I'm possibly oversimplifying this, but I'm not entirely sure what taking away someone in an attacking sense of putting with the back does to help break down a, a low block. It gives you a different dynamic of course, but I do think you'd be losing something that we definitely need in most domestic games for that. In terms of a concept to try and see out a game, like it worked on Wednesday, albeit it was only for what, five to ten minutes or so um, when Lundstrom came on. It's possibly something that we can do if we are trying to hold on to a lead and see a game out going forward. I'd be curious to see if it's it's always going to be John Lundstrom that, that plays in that role. And I say that not because we don't have a, a lot of centre-backs right now. I'm saying that more because he has a natural midfielder and he can bring the ball out. I think it might be a wee bit more interesting if you're talking about Calvin Bassey. Specifically, if, say, you brought on Goldson when he's fit Balogun and Bassey to play in a back three and you had Bassey being the, the centre-half that can bring the ball out. That might be an interesting development for him personally. But for something that we'd maybe start a game with, yeah, I'm not, not entirely sold on it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you. I've said this before. I think I don't think that's simplistic at all. Lundstrom came on to play centre half and he replaced Ryan Kent. Um, there's a reason why that happened. It's a defensive change. I, I don't think, for example, against Dundee on Saturday, I would be amazed if we, we went three at the back to start when we're, we're trying to break down a team because, in essence, you're adding in a, another defensive player in the space of an attacking player when the aim is to have as many attacking players on the pitch as you can in these type of games. So, 
not going to rule it out. I would be surprised if it happens in one of those games. I feel like it will be a, a kind of away backs to the wall type thing. Um, possibly in a game where we want to be tighter uh, in defence for whatever reason. Okay, um, I am not even going to dignify the penalty with much of a <laughs> much of a, an opinion. Safe to say, it is a, a pretty clear penalty. Anyone who doesn't see it as a clear clear penalty is just willfully ignorant of of the fact. But Scott, the fact remains we got a penalty and Roof dispatched it pretty easily to give us a, a really, really good win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, we spoke about this on the way home from the game, Adam, and I, I find the kind of commentary around the penalty just bizarre. Um, I, I find that the decision by Porteous to, to, to lunge in and try and nick the ball quite bizarre as well. Um, Kent's chopped inside. He's he's moving away from goal. All Porteous really needs to do there is get tight, kind of usher him out of the box and if Kent lays it off or, or to another player for a shot then you know Porteous has passed that on to, to another defender so but like I mentioned before he he will do this he'll um he'll get carried away and he'll try and nick the ball um he does that there's clear contact I actually think there might be two elements of contact I think he catches him in the um kind of thigh and then on the, the foot as well as he as he goes through him um clear penalty um, we were all kind of holding our breath at this point. Um, I, I think it's, I've not been that nervous waiting for a penalty for a, a long time. And yeah, um, no surprises really for Roof stepping up to take it. I think he's been quite reliable and does that silly little run up, which didn't help the nerves at all, but puts it away really comfortably. And yeah, the place went wild and we were able to see the game out pretty comfortably in the end. Yeah, Martin was cuddling me in the build-up to the penalty, so <laughs> anybody who's had a cuddle from Martin will know it's impossible to be nervous during it. So I was, I, I was going to say that myself when that penalty got awarded, like James and I done the again initial cheer, and then we almost kind of like held each other and went right, Cam still still got to score it, and then I was almost kind of pre-cuddling him when Ruth done the run-up, and if, I don't know if anyone's going to watch the back or I don't know if you two felt it in the stand, but there's almost like that sharp intake of breath when Ruth does his pause, yeah, and the yeah, run-up and you yeah. had that. <gasps> Oh, and then just panned the ball at the end. Of just the absolutely superb. All part of the fun. It's an interesting point, though, Ross, because yeah, like I felt that as well when when the penalty was awarded, there was such an eruption of, I guess, relief um, that you know this is our chance to to go and take the three points, and you almost had to kind of remind yourself and, and remind still those around you that we kind of need to still score this. Um, so yeah, it was like settle down, then take a breath, and yeah, um, obviously he puts it away really comfortably. Yeah, it's a really good venue to, to go to and get a win, particularly in that kind of way. And the away support were, were outstanding again. We we definitely have to have to mention that. It's fantastic. Okay, so as always, the next game is, is the most important one. Uh, another test, a different kind of test for Van Bronckhorst on, on Saturday. Ross, um, we've had a, a big European game where um, we probably would expect to have more of the ball, but it will be a little bit more even. We've had a game... Uh, away on a, a dodgy pitch where the, that team uh, can be very, very difficult. And then we've had a tough away game in the league. We have a, a different um, a different one this week. This is a, a game against Dundee where we will, will be expected to dominate a team who are not doing well, particularly when we, we are at home at Ibrox. One of these games where breaking down the low block will be crucial. We have heard from, from people 
um, who watched Gio at, at Feyenoord that he possibly has some issues with that or did have some issues with that uh, in years gone past. Um, how do you think things are, are going to go? Are you expecting too much of a difference? We know or we think he doesn't like too much rotation game to game. And I would imagine we'll probably see a bit more rotation uh, against Leon in, in midweek. But any thoughts on changes for, for this game or the challenge? The low block thing was something I was going to raise myself. And look, I am totally on board with Gio. I was on board with Gio pretty much from the moment we knew Gerard was leaving. Definitely the man of choice, but kind of reading into his time at, at Feyenoord then, it did seem especially towards his kind of the end of his spell that he was having a bit of issues breaking down with a low block. Obviously, he's developed as a coach and then he's been away with the City group, so that might be a really kind of interesting time to, to see what he's learned there. I wouldn't expect wholesale rotations, but we've not had wholesale rotations under Van Bronckhorst. I'd possibly maybe expect this to be a game for John Lundstrom to come in. Davis to step out, I'd like Arfield to start, I think he gives you something else and try to break down a low block, definitely a game as far as I'm concerned for Yanis Hadji, this is exactly the kind of game that I'd like to see him used, he is essential in, in my eyes and try to break down a low block, especially at Ibrox, because he can find passes on the pitch that I don't believe anyone else can, he's got a real eye for it, especially in that final third. I'd be curious to see if Sakala comes out for this game, I, I know we spoke about it earlier on, that, that pace on the break is possibly more something we would like to have seen at Easter Road, I'm curious to see whether Sakala starts here or he is saved for Thursday in Leon, albeit that's a, that's a dead rubber, and then kind of more crucially hearts away next Sunday, where I think he could be really, really useful as an asset to us. But uh, yeah, not not exactly wholesale changes. I expect the, the back four or five, if you want to include McGregor, to remain relatively unchanged, although if he does decide to go with John McLaughlin, no issues there whatsoever. Yeah, Lundstrom to come in possibly for me, Arfield as well, and then Kent, Hadji as well. Just kind of curious to see whether he sticks with Morelos or, or throws to Calvin. Yeah, Scott, the manager said today in the, the press conference that uh, Balogun's back in training. I would assume that means he's not fit for, for Saturday, but he'll probably come into the thinking at the very least for for Tynecastle next week. So we are getting some some reinforcements back. But as, as Ross said, there's a few potentials there. We've got Roof, we've got Arfield, we've got Patterson, Lundstrom, Sakala. Uh, Jack back in the squad uh, as well there's a lot there um, it's going to be interesting to see how he approaches this type of game um, my guess will be he'll go with a kind of a holder and, and two um, two number eights possibly maybe he'll stick with a 4-2-3-1 but I think we'll, we'll see quite an attacking formation is there anyone that you think should be coming into the, the game after uh, the team after Wednesday night or anyone that you would start that maybe hasn't been getting minutes recently yeah I'm particularly interested I think in seeing what Gio plans to do with that I guess that kind of wide right position. Um, I know Hadji, as Ross mentioned, this is the kind of game that is set up for Hadji. I think um, the reason Gio's probably taking a shine to him is that he has got that little bit more finesse than probably someone like Sakala's got. Um, but I would like to see, you know, whether he plays him more centrally and we go with a little bit more pace in the, the wide positions. Maybe Sakala comes in there, maybe even Scott Wright um, will be interesting. I think. Um, I'd like to see Scott Arfield um, come in for this as well. Um, and I think it'd be good to, if we can, maybe get some minutes for someone like Ryan Jack. Um, I don't know where he is and he's kind of fitness at the moment, but um, hopefully we can start, as you mentioned, to bleed some of these players back in back into the team. Um, I know you mentioned the, the challenge around the low block, etc. But, you know, this is, if you look at the fixtures we've got coming up, you know, we've got Tynecastle, we've got Pataudry, We've obviously got Parkhead in the new year. Um, 
it's this is a non-negotiable. This this is three points um, and, a, and a comfortable win. Um, it has to be. Um, so it does put a little bit of pressure on it in that regards. But I think that's very much a pressure that we as fans will feel. Um, I don't imagine. I think the players will see it's just another home game and go out there and um, and do the business. Um, I think a team where Charlie Adam is the creative hub and Jason Cummings is the top scorer. You know, I, nothing I get. I've got a lot of time for both of them, but that's not a team that should really be causing us too much problems. Um, I know we kind of toiled up there um, with the 1-0 win early in the season, but I'm expecting plenty of goals, uh, plenty of attacking intent, and and should be a comfortable victory. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. OK, Ross, just before we finish, I'll come to you for a prediction for tomorrow's game. 4 now. Cool. Okay, another clean sheet would be would be lovely. Uh, fantastic, Scott. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know, two or three clean sheets so far. I'd like to see us continue with that. So, not quite as optimistic as Ross, but I'll say three 0 Rangers. Okay, I will go for three 0 as well. Yeah, I think that's a very as a very Rangers at home scoreline. <laughs> so fingers crossed we get uh, the clean sheet. Van Bronckhorst seems to be saying it every every press conference. Keeping the zero is is a huge thing for him. I'm sure that will that will please a lot of you listening, especially after the the goals that we've conceded so far this season. So three 0 uh, is the consensus for me as well. Fingers crossed we we get close to that. Okay, that will do us for this evening. Scott, thank you for coming on. No pleasure as always. Thanks for having me, Adam. And Ross, thank you. Cheers, lads. Cheers, listeners. Have a good weekend. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.